Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook and share us there. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, Pause this recording right now and give us a five-star rating. Review us. Say lovely, glowing things about us. Follow us on Twitter at at ClergyLay and join our, sadly, rather dormant Facebook discussion Mm. group. We should uh, uh, apply um, electroshock therapy to that thing and and make make it a fun place to hang out. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician. And this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, I'm a little under the weather this week. It's funny, over the last few months, I've been joking with friends about how, uh, because we've been masking and so cautious about exactly. passing passing the COVID, that uh, you know we haven't gotten sick. You know, the, no one's gotten the flu. I mean, like, and we just haven't gotten sick because germs aren't being transmitted and your somehow immune system I, has gotten flabby and as i anticipated the that indeed is is true kirk um as it, metaphorically you know I, i'd imagine my immune system isn't literally flabby i, I picture little guys like like with weights <laughs> lying in the corner of the room collecting dust like as they're like they have cheetos in their chest hair watching tv like in Those, your bloodstream <laughs> that's that's what my bloodstream looks like um but yeah I, my Immune system, in fact, hasn't had to do battle with pathogens all that much, and I saw, maybe it's because I'm I'm masking less. Maybe it's because I'm in the gym and and uh, you know doing more. Uh, uh, I was I was gonna make a, a kind of an inside joke that I don't think many of our listeners would get. I was gonna talk about like face licking because. Um, <laughs> getting back to the activities of face licking, there 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 are certain people who talk about like going back to normal and they they equate that with face looking like all the things that we've been avoiding like oh we're gonna go back to face looking parties which we don't do but like it's 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 just shorthand for like normal life yeah my shorthand is i can't wait to go and lick all the doorknobs yeah yeah (laughs) so so i've been because i'm i've been fully vaccinated for weeks now i've been uh a little bit more free and so so i'm i'm paying the price kirk i'm paying the price so it's been a tough week and and this is kirk this is my this is the podcast version of the flu game. Oh, yeah. Is, is I, I don't get it. Does that mean I'm going to get it? Am no, I- the flu game. Michael Jordan uh, against the Utah oh, Jazz. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. So, um, yeah. yeah. Halftime, we're going to give you an IV, fill you with fluids. <laughs> Which uh, I, I know some people who think it was it wasn't the flu, but food poisoning. That uh, uh, that is uh, Michael's entourage firmly believes yes. that. 
Yeah. Um, because they were at a hotel in, uh, in Salt Lake City and they were playing cards at like 10.30 p.m. and they were bored. And like, of and course, hungry. You know, and hungry. Yeah, hungry. And there's A, there's nothing to do in like a Mormon city after 10. It's all shut down. And B, you know, in a playoff game, the team is pretty like, uh, they encourage you, like, you're not going out tonight. Um, and so they order the pizza. And, uh, and what they say, the guy, uh, the guy, the pizza delivery guy opened the door, looked at them, like gave like a sickening smile and like thrust the pizza at them as if like he did something or. <laughs> yeah. And nobody ate it except Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, got violently ill and yet he played the next night and somehow played phenomenally. So right. I mean, the, sec- the secret to Michael was like to get him angry about something. Right. Like you could cut his leg off. And then like anger him and he would have, you know, put 45 on you. Yeah. I mean, it, and he was probably also like, if he wasn't, if he wasn't angry, uh, he would find a reason to like get angry and hate the other team. And uh, so that that, that was Michael. Hopefully I can summon the, the, the focus and all of the, I don't know what the podcasting equivalent of, of um, what Michael did to, to get, all hopped up for that game. I've got Tylenol and caffeine in my system. I'm, I'm ready to go. I hope, have, I hope I'm coherent. Vocal exercises. Like warmed up. Like let's not tell everyone about our <laughs> pre podcast rituals, which lead to our podcasting excellence. Kirk, let's not do that. Have you ever seen the King's speech? Of course. It begins very oddly. Like if like the first time you watch it out of context, you're like, what is he doing? I think it's like some BBC. It's like, I don't know if Shakespearean actors had like vocal warmups or something. Mm. Um, and uh, doesn't it begin with like the, the BBC radio broadcaster, like do it running through his like warmups and they're, they're kind of, really <laughs> I don't remember how it began, but yeah, he's like vocalizing like, you could convince me of that. Iris, yeah, Iris, Iris like that. <laughs> Kirk, what's going on in 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 the Shire? Uh, what is going on here? What is going on here is we're recording on a Friday, which is very outside our norms, and I am feeling Friday so hard. Mm. I am so excited. We are hosting um, a uh, little league travel tournament mm. with. Uh, do you know about the uh, um, little league bats? That there are different um, tiers of bats. So the USA bats basically have all the pop taken out of them. So like pitchers don't get killed. Like this is another example of how you and I grew up in the end of something. Christopher, <laughs> you and I basically swung. Do you remember like our, our bats would, they would weigh the same as the length. So it'd be like 30, 30, 30 inches, 30, 30 ounces, 30, like 32, 32, 32 inches, 32 ounces. We were essentially swinging lead pipes, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're now like you have you have eleven year olds using thirty four inch bats. Well, it's like thirty drop twelve. Right? Oh, wow. So it's eighteen ounces and it's composite and it it intentionally has all the pop taken out of it. So like a kid will swing hard, it'll make a very unbat like sound. It'll make mm. like a thwack sound, and it'll be a dribbler to third base. And it's the whole point is so that like you're not breaking the jaws of like ten year old mm. kids. Because the mound they, is so close and the bases are much closer there. I think the mound is 46 feet. Um, don't, don't you think a better solution would be to, to use a, what are they called? L screen, like to have oh. the pitchers just have a screen in front of them and, and, and let the kids actually hit the ball. Uh, perhaps, but that would, that would create like the weird scenario of like, um, 
pitchers in great frustration and tears, like scrambling around the screen on like a routine ground ball, like, and a guy beat. Well, anyhow, tonight we are hosting a tournament and it is like the real bat tournament, like the juice bat mm. tournament, which Simon loves. He's so excited. Um, and so he's, so did you hollow out, tonight. did you hollow out his aluminum bat and put cork in it? We, we, uh, we, I, I, I got the, uh, the drill out the, um, <laughs> the drywall drill with like the, like the big circle. And um, that's right. We um, we put rubber balls in there, and then uh, we glued it back up. Gorilla glued it back up. So um, so like Craig Nettles, he'll have like the bouncy balls come flying out um, when he when he so, so, the ball off. So both boys are playing tonight, or just Simon? Uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, eleven. It's eleven U. So it's just Simon. So I'm excited about that. It's fun. Fun to host. Uh, you know, a regional tournament. Like it's kind of, it's so you know. We've uh, we've contributed to concession stand. We'll have, as Daphne says, curse session stand duty coming up. So that's kind of what our our excitement our excitement this weekend. And uh, I'm not sick, so I'm happy about that too. Yeah, and, and I I didn't because I'm just not thinking clearly. I'm under the weather. I've got crud in my head and in my chest. Um, I I it wasn't until you mentioned that we're recording on a different day that I looked at you and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. You are not wearing a bow tie. I am not. Yes. I'm, I'm very casual. Yes. Casual yeah, I, have, uh, I, have, I have merely a, um, a Joseph A. Banks button down shirt on. Um, I actually, I actually prepared to bolt as soon as we're done recording. Um, I have a pair of shorts on, so I'll like <laughs> change shirts, change shirts when we're done. Um, lastly, so, I'll so the podcast podcast is business enough that you, you have to wear a collared shirt for it. It, this is essentially the equivalent of the mullet. I'm uh, I'm business yeah. on top and pleasure yeah. uh, pleasure below. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I also I have been texting you and you because you've been sick you've been unresponsive. I'm exultant about um, our our CDC and our states lifting of masking and distancing restrictions. It's great. So so let the door licking begin. Let's start face. <laughs> I, I had my jab long ago. I'm jabbed. Kim will get her second jab. She's doing. She's doing the real one. The 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 the, uh, the, the Moderna. I did. I did the El Cheapo J and J. And I and I live to tell a tale. No blood clots here. So when when and hopefully when we go to uh, Figure Lakes in a couple of weeks, um, it'll it'll almost be as if it was 2019 all over again. Let's party like it's 2019, Kirk. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let us do that. Um, um, and uh, our disi- the disciples um, probably parted. Actually, they were probably quite sad when our Lord ascended on high, which brings us to our gospel reading. gospel reading today comes from the gospel of luke chapter 24 verses 44 through 53 then he said to them these are my words that i spoke to you while i was still with you 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kirk, this is Ascension Sunday. Jesus walked the earth sort for 40 of. days. It's Ascension Sunday. I didn't say it's Ascension okay. Day. All right. Okay. Fair. It's Ascension Sunday. So Jesus, he uh, he rose from the dead, and then he walked the earth for 40 days following his resurrection. A really inconvenient time period, if you ask me, for a church that now gathers almost exclusively on Sundays. Multiples of sevens. Yeah. Yeah, it would be really nice had he done it 40, 42 days, 49 days. Uh, so we've talked about how we have feast days that sometimes land midweek, things like All Saints Day, which are November 1st, and Epiphany, which is January 6th, but Ascension never lands on a Sunday, always a Thursday. And Kirk has asked in the past if, you know, the hypothetical question, if, if we could sort of reinstitute one weekday feast day that our church kind of, uh, like gathers for and and just really and and i mean some churches gather for ascension day and they're cool things like they gather for kite flying and things like that that was an illustration used to describe to oh, kids the ascension yeah of that would be great yeah and so there, there are cool things that you can do on a thursday but uh we frequently move the ascension celebration to the following sunday and so there is actually a separate uh lectionary text for this Sunday, but we, on this podcast, we opted to go with the Ascension text. And so we are approaching the end of the drama, this drama, which is really the greatest story ever told. And it was Dorothy Sayers that talked about uh, <laughs> the dogma is the drama. Yes. Yeah. Do I have that right? Or, yes. or is it I, the drama is the dogma? I, I can't I can't figure it out because my, my my head is kind of kind of uh, got a bunch of cotton stuffed in it metaphorically. It's the, the dogma, dogma is the drama. Is the drama? Yep. The dogma <laughs> is the drama is what she said. Um, that that we we could talk about doctrine being dry and dusty. I don't mean we. I mean like I guess like the world out there is like oh it's boring. It's churchy. It's it's all these things and, and which. I think is incredibly false that the the story that scripture presents the doctrine that we believe the story from creation to fall to God coming to Abraham and, and, and saying, I will make of you a great nation. I will be your God and you will be my people uh, to, to, to God uh, sending his son, fully God, fully man in Jesus to save the world. This, this drama that we walk through every single year from an, the anticipation of a second coming uh, in 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 Advent, and also just the idea of of anticipation of people waiting for a Messiah of Advent, all the way um, through His incarnation, through God becoming flesh and living as one of us, to the revealing of of Christ uh, to the nations in Epiphany, to um, manifestations of Him being not just a teacher but God. Um, 
manifest on earth uh, in, in the season of epiphany all the way through Lent uh, as Jesus takes the path of the cross to his res- uh, to his death resurrection uh, it's it's easy for us who want to simplify the gospel for the world to just talk about Christ's death and resurrection and sometimes it's just in the west and evangelicalism it's just that Jesus died for your sins and so even us um, I'm a pastor of Church of the Resurrection, which emphasizes the importance of, of the resurrection. And Kirk, I think you've talked about Eastern depictions of the resurrection of Christ kind of like yanking um, the dead up from the earth, that Christ is yes. the first first fruits of resurrection. And I was reading something earlier today, earlier today, earlier this week about uh, other depictions in the East of the resurrection of Christ going into, we, we see in first or second Peter about um, Jesus, like going to the place of the dead. Um, so the, this uh, Jewish concept of Sheol yeah, and yeah. like proclaiming the good news to, to, to and the we place have of the that dead. In the creed. Yeah. Yep. He in the apostles creed. The yep. Dead. yep. Yeah. And, um, and so there's these dep- artistic depictions of Christ trampling, um, the gates of hell and like preaching the gospel to the saints from the old Testament and essentially leaving them out and, and into heaven. And, and Jesus is the first fruits. And that's, I guess, another um, kind of theological concept of in the West, we think of us at the moment we die of, of our soul ascending to heaven, where um, that's not necessarily the biblical model where we see in, in uh, I think it's first Thessalonians four or five, um, where uh, Paul says, I want you to, to hear what's going to happen on the last day so that you do not grieve as those who have no hope. And he said, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Um, so, you know, Christ will descend, the, the trumpet will sound, the, the dead will be raised. So like graves will be emptied and like we will have like enfleshed people raised physically from the dead, which Christ is the first fruits of. And so I guess I'm all over the place right now, Kirk. But um. What we're seeing is we're approaching the end of the drama. And so so uh, in two weeks, it'll be Trinity Sunday, which is a doctrine Sunday, which we don't want our people to roll their eyes and fall asleep mm-hmm. as we're talking about this beautiful doctrine of the Trinity, because like we are, in essence, being prepared for that, right? Um, in what is happening now and in the past weeks, as we've read from Jesus' final discourse. And Kirk, you're right. You asked the question, why? You know, why are, are these our readings? I have confirmed that, in fact, these are our readings because we are being prepared for the ascension, for Jesus to leave. So two weeks ago, we read that, like, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. Right. And, like, I will send you another comforter. So Jesus was a comforter during his life, and he's going to send them another comforter. And next week is going to be uh, Pentecost. And so we even get a preview of Pentecost in today's text. And so to look at, at today's reading in, in verses 44 through 46, we have Jesus give for them a second time an interpretive key for the Old Testament. So in the, in the road to Emmaus, Jesus interpreted him all the scriptures and him, himself in the scriptures, how like Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That The Old Testament isn't a, a story of um, moralistic tales, but in fact, they were leading up and preparing us for Jesus. And they were all pointing to Jesus. And in verses 44 through 46 here, um, he talks about how, um, everything written in, about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then this is a uh, very, very Luke thing, isn't it? Luke likes to um, have Jesus point this out. I'm very, very famously in the road to Emmaus. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus um, says with something identical. Yeah. And we see it in acts too. So you, you, yeah. you know, you talk about this being a Lucan thing. Um, 
we talk about the, you know it was necessary that for the Christ to suffer and be raised. Um, we we see that continually as like uh, distillation of the gospel, and we see that in verses in verse forty six. Verse forty five says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and then verse forty six he said to them, "Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead," which he had given them plenty of preparation about, but it didn't really kind of click until they witnessed this, and of course until the the Spirit came. And then he gives them an evangelistic program or a mandate or a guide for what they're supposed to do. Verse 47 says, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then there's this apostolic thing. Um, the apostles, of course, are people who are sent out. But but one of the qualifications for being uh, an apostle was the, to be a witness of these things. And, and, and Paul was because Christ came to him on, on the road to Damascus. Right, right. The so very numbers... mantle of apostolic authority is because they were eyewitnesses, right? Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. why it's so important for, for Paul to emphasize that he saw the risen Christ as well. Mm -hmm. And that's why he numbers himself among the, the apostles. And, he let, and then he leads them out, and he uh, lifts up his hands, and he blesses them, and he parts from them and was carried up into heaven. So just to, to tarry a little bit here, Kirk. Um, What's tarry? Uh, our modern scientific world, uh, back in those days, they thought that heaven was like, when, when they referred to the heavens, they meant the sky. And there was this idea that that like the sky was the place of God. And it, it, it makes sense, right? I mean, we see, you know, the, the sky break open at Jesus' baptism and, and like God speak from there and the Holy Spirit descending from there. And so it'd be easy in a, in a world where you don't have planes and drones and, and all these things that can go up there and see what's happening up there um, for them to think, think this way. And um, it's actually helpful for us to be able to have the uh, ability to go up into space and to see that heaven is not up there. But that also doesn't disprove like what happened here because the point of Jesus ascending is not him like going up um, uh, like physically into the sky to heaven. And, and I mentioned this last year. Um, part of it is, is status that Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man and lived as a man and, 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 um, put aside his, his divine attributes as he walked the earth. And then he was raised and, um, in his ascension, uh, as he is ascending to take his throne in heaven, also he is ascending in, in, in the, more metaphorical sense of of uh, status of be, of taking his place back, putting his feet up, in, as we see in in Hebrews, uh, because the, his his work is finished, and he is taking his place as as the the king of the universe, um, fully God, a uh, fully man, uh, full of his divine attributes, um, and then we see um, the disciples returning to Jerusalem with great joy. Uh, it's funny, like so many times in, in, in Christ's ministry, they had fear or doubt or this or that. Um, you know, even after the resurrection, we saw them, um, some doubted, even though some were, were rejoicing. Um, here they returned with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And what's interesting with this is the symmetry that we have in the book of Luke is that the book of Luke opens in the temple and closes in the temple. And what's cool is that uh, with Luke giving a second book in the book of Acts, we get two accounts here um, of the ascension that he picks back up in Acts chapter one. Um, and, and we get a second telling of this 
Um, and uh, I want to read just briefly from uh, Acts chapter one, because it's, it's really cool just to see him talk about his purpose, like what he was, what his goal to do um, in, in Luke, he said oh, he wanted to provide an orderly account in Acts one. He writes this in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And it's interesting how he says began. Right. Because like Jesus' work continues, like the work of teaching. Um, his work on our behalf is done. Um, but uh, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me for John Baptist with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And, and then we have the, his uh, second account of, of the resurrection. And Kirk, I know that you love Matthew's account of the resurrection. And I do, and I do too, uh, because we, we get uh, a line that's not included in Luke's account that um, I will be with you always. Yep. And this, and, and this, uh, connects to something I, I said, I think last week, but, um, this idea, uh, you know, we talked about, I talked about the geography of like, and the physics of him ascending, that it's not necessarily important for him to ascend to this, um, vertical kingdom, but to like a, another dimension in essence, um, where he will send a spirit and that, uh, where the temple, um, used to be the symbol, uh, the symbol of God's presence that he was going, Jesus was going to be with them always because, because he was leaving um, his absence would not mean he was abandoning them, but it would mean his universal presence through the Holy spirit. And so I've gone, I've droned on today, but I want to talk about the importance of um, the doctrine of the Trinity, which we will talk about in two weeks mm. that, that we are comforted uh, in our trials because Christ is always with us through the Holy Spirit. And so doctrine and experience cannot be separated um, because this drama that, that we have read in Scripture is, is the most comforting thing to us, that we have the Holy Spirit, this gift for us, this comforter, this, this helper um, uh, that, that we'll talk about um, in, the com- in the coming two weeks in Pentecost and Ascension. And... I, you know what? Let me hand you the baton, Kirk. I thought I had something else, but I've I've drawn on. Well, I have two questions for you, but before. Oh, great! I, I hope I can. I hope I can answer them <laughs> before I ask you the questions. It's interesting. You and I, I think, have both uh, have have both been uh, have have moved have been moved and um, influenced by the Dorothy Sayers observation that the dogma is the drama. And um, or the drama is the dogma. It, we we obviously have um, <laughs> some issues remembering those things, but it's alliterative, so you get the you get the gist yeah. anyway. Um, the, it's not so in other religions. Uh, for mm. example, I gather most theology in Islam is largely jurisprudence. Sure. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, you separately I, read the story of 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 God's work, and then you abide by. Um, the five pillars. Yeah. And just adjudicating. Um, so how does this play out? Um, a lot of Talmudic scholarship is essentially jurisprudence, um, I gather. And I, and I know that's not completely fair. I know that, that, that Jews delve into the attributes of God as well. 
Um, but Christian theology is, is in, I mean, look at half of our calendar. It is, right. Right. it is absolutely linked to the life and work mm-hmm. and teachings, but mm-hmm. life and work of Jesus. So, yes. um, I mean, we use this word incarnate so much that we become callous to it and deaf to it. Um, but, but the word of God, the, um, is enfleshed, right? Right. Yes. The logic, the rationality, the teaching of God, the theology of God is enfleshed in a person and he lives it out. And so, um, when we say things like the Trinity isn't a doctrine, it's, it's a relationship, it's relational. Um, that's not just kind of like a trite, um, you know, bumper sticker. Um, it's real, right? Our, the way we do theology is um, a cult of personality. It's a person that we've fallen in love with. And he is our, our morning, our noon, our night. He is our beginning, our end. And um, so to ever find theology dry or dusty, either mm. you're around someone who's made it so, <laughs> mm. which is too bad, or you haven't actually entered into um, the, the, the lovely depths of, of Christian teaching and Christian doctrine, which is a person right? Not, not dry and dusty texts. So those dry and dusty texts scream forth the loveliness of the person of Jesus yes. Christ. And so kind of his last, his last moment here on the journey, his ascension, his, his goodbye um, is, is that, that last bit of drama. It's the final chapter. Um, yeah. And I felt the need to, to, to talk about the, the drama and doctrine because like, the, like as we witness this part of the drama of him, of him ascending, there is, do- we, like, we have to talk about the doctrines around that. It, but like and yet they're not detached from like his work on our behalf that would be yeah. easy to be like well it's about his death and resurrection well no but it, like christ's work <laughs> um in his ascension is is just as essential in what he did for us yeah. as his death and resurrection yeah 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 we can we can and we're gonna on, get into that in the yeah, theology section yeah. yeah absolutely um i i think probably the american church uh, has lost the ability to do this well, um, to talk about theology as a story, um, mm. as opposed to like practical tips or, or mm. kind of um, teaching in different ways. And you and I, you and I swim in American evangelicalism. I know I, I fancy myself a squishy Anglo-Catholic, but that's not like the people that I'm around. And the way kind of American evangelicalism does teaching it isn't <laughs> by telling a story, right? It's um, it's usually tips or or um, how to apply the scripture to your life rather than being enthralled by, by the life of this person mm. um, whose life is our life, <laughs> right? Mm. We, are, yeah. we are enfolded in him. We are in Christ, right? So here are my two questions for you. And then, and then we, should, uh, we should move on to our theology segment. Question number one, <clears throat> as Luke likes to point out, <laughs> Luke um, recalls Jesus reminding his disciples that the entire law and the prophets speak of him and his life and his works. And he reminds them, hey, I told you I would have to be put on trial and put to death. And three days later, I would rise again, right? He tells them this. And they don't necessarily have years to hear it before it happens, right? Before Holy Week. And then he reminds them of this here now. Um, but do we ever see Jesus prophesy the ascension? <laughs> this seems to be a bit of a surprise, right? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I am completely, I'm completely unprepared to answer this question, Kirk. (laughs) Isn't that interesting though? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think it's like kind of a final trick. Like it's yeah. even, even as I, yeah, even as I talk about, um, the importance of his ascension, um, in his work, right. 
like yeah. that, that he must ascend. It's not just <laughs> him just disappearing. Uh, it's not just like stage. Uh, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stage direction, stage like craft. stagecraft, like getting off yeah. stage. Um, he's ascending to his, his throne in heaven. Uh, even as I say that, like, yeah, you, that's a really good point to talk about all his, all of scripture point to his suffering and his death and his resurrection. But yeah, I don't, I can't think of a, uh, him predicting his ascension. All right. Question number two, um, you and I, uh, but Hey, and- listeners, let us know if, if, yeah. uh, if you, if you can think of a, a place where he pricks this. Right. Question two, you and I have talked before about the, the concept in reformed theology of type and antitype, mm. um, uh, of types and shadows. Um, Jesus is the full, uh, Moses. Jesus is the fulfilled David, right. In, 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 the, in the true and final King Jesus is right. So, um, does the old Testament prophesy the Ascension? Do we have types and shadows of the Ascension? I have to think you have something in mind when you say this. I mean, we I have don't know. I mean, Elijah and Enoch, Elijah, right? Um, right. Elijah's more filled out. Enoch's just kind of like the, yeah. like the, the interesting early Genesis. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting stuff uh, in, in the Old Testament. And like we have this figure of Melchizedek where it's not clear if this is a Christ type or if it actually is Christ walking the earth, right? Like it is a prophet, a priest, and a king. Um, and uh, so people can make compelling arguments either way. But yeah, that's um, great questions you have. I wish I had better <laughs> answers. Yeah, no, that's all I got. So, um, I mean, if... And, and so we, I guess I should explain, like, for those who are not familiar with the story of Elijah, that Elijah was carried um, out of sight and into heaven bodily um, right. in... in a, chariots of fire so there have to be implications there right um if elijah ascended bodily to heaven and is with god in some way um that 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 in some ways has to grease the skids right um in some way that's a type yeah i don't know i would there there have to be people who have done theology around that um, because I mean, we see the new covenant, right, as as not a departure, not a ripping up of the old covenant, but a but completion, fulfillment. right? Yeah. A fulfillment. Um, and so, what was what was for at first hinted at is now made plain and made clear, right? So, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't be surprised if there's some really fun and interesting theology that's been done around that. That's all I got. I only have questions. This is very postmodern yeah. to me. No observations, <laughs> just questions. Do, do you? Uh... Can I ruin your segue by asking if you have a really good segue to our theology segment? That was great. You did a great job. And with that in mind, our uh, I'm going to shock our listeners in announcing that our theology segment is about the Ascension.
Uh, Christopher did a great job in explaining that um, the Ascension always falls on a Thursday. Uh, and uh, so the Thursday, um, we're recording on Friday, the day after. So by the time you listen to this, um, even if you're listening to this tonight, um, the Feast of the Ascension of Jesus Christ or Ascension Day will have been yesterday. Um, however, we are in Ascension Tide between Thursday, Ascension Day and Pentecost. So it's okay. Listen to all the hymns, read the scriptures, um, pray the prayers. It's fine. Um, uh, the, the disciples certainly lived in that tension. <laughs> they were given specific instructions, which were to kind of wait um, and a sense of expectation and, and, and we know now that that'll be Pentecost, but we're in this, this, this prayerful in-between period, right? Where, where, where much has happened during Eastertide and something new is coming and we're excited about that and we pray and we anticipate that as well. Um, and uh, as Christopher said, the Feast of the Ascension celebrates the Ascension of Jesus Christ in which we in real time mark the 40 days of Christ as he was here on earth with his disciples before ascending into heaven. Uh, but I, I wanted to introduce this, uh, the theological conversations around the Ascension, Christopher, by, by focusing specifically on its implications um, and then its benefits for us, right? Theology should always be connected to the life of the believer, um, lest it become a classroom and bore us, right? Mm -hmm. So what are its benefits for us, right? What is Christ for us? In the end, that is what we sinners need to hear, right? I mean, that's the only point of theology in the end, Christ for us. So um, I, what has been with me, Christopher, this week, um, as I was kind of preparing for Ascension Day, was I read a sermon from one of the heroes of the faith, John Henry Newman, um, Anglican cleric, uh, the vicar of uh, St. Mary's Church in Oxford um, in the 1830s, and one of the founders of the Oxford Movement. And this, is, this sermon is titled Mysteries in Religion from his parochial and plain sermons. And this was a sermon um, for the Ascension and he makes so many good points that Christopher, I'm going to I'm going to try really hard to remain focused and not to monologue either. Um, uh, but but first of all, he talks about um, he talks about its implications and its benefits for us as believers quite profoundly. And in, in, in first, uh, Christopher, you and I have spoken about here in this podcast about how lovely the comfortable words are mm. in a, a prayer book uh, service of Holy Communion, and that's after we pray. Um, uh, we pray a prayer of confession and the priest absolves us. Um, you, you cite, you read to the, to the congregation, Christopher, four bits of scripture that console. Basically, um, they're comfortable words as well, that's yeah. what they are, right? Words of consolation. And one of them is from 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin. And this is, this might be the, the largest implication of the ascension. Um, he's at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> we have an advocate with the Father, with capital W. That is a really powerful preposition, Christopher. Um, it's not metaphorical. It's not a Trinitarian loose concept. He is with the Father um, and interceding for us. Um, and uh, what does that mean interceding for us, Christopher? We were talking about types and antitypes. Um, as the Jewish high priest, after the solemn sacrifice for the people on the great day of atonement, 
went into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrificed victim and sprinkled it upon the mercy seat, so too, Christopher, has Christ entered into heaven itself to present, as it were, before the throne that sacred tabernacle, which was the instrument of his passion, that is, his pierced hands and wounded sides, in token of atonement, which he has effected for the sins of the world. We have the perfect and final advocate with the Father, whereas, as we read hmm. in Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats was never truly sufficient, Christopher. Um, after every atonement day, was that the last atonement day for all history for nope. the Jews? Nope. They had to do it next year, right? <laughs> and how, so, also, <laughs> each of those priests would have to uh, sacrifice for their own sins, where Christ did not. Um, so Wait, Christ so, is, a, is the true and better priest. So isn't this a powerful and consoling benefit for us, a benefit of the ascension? Yeah. That we have the blood of the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, sprinkled on the mercy seat, that is the throne of God, not in a tabernacle somewhere in Judea, but the true mercy seat of which that was only ever a type and shadow. Um, so, and, go ahead. And the thing, thing about Jesus being our advocate um, is, is that he has status with the Father, right? Yes. Um, where any, any human advocate on our behalf uh, would not have status with the Father because you'd be a mere human. But Christ, being both fully God and fully man, being fully man, he could represent us. And being fully God, um, he is of equal status with the Father. And um, I, the best illustration that I could think of of this, Kirk, is how um, I know that you as my brother would, would fight to the last day for me as my advocate um, in whatever arena. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, the, this, uh, this might say something about me, but like the, the worst kind of trouble I could see myself getting in that an advocate could get me out of would be trouble with the IRS. This kind of nameless, faceless yeah. bureaucracy that like comes in with bad news. Like, Oh, by the way, you owe us all this money and we're going to punish you. And it's like, Oh, like, like how do I possibly like, you know, the, the fear of this nameless, faceless bureaucracy is that like, how do you even get a hold of them to explain your case? And cause each of us probably know people who have had issues with the IRS where the, I like, you were uh, people, they were a hundred percent innocent. And yet like it took somebody high up in the system to make their case. Yeah. Um, and so as much as, as great as an advocate Kirk, as you would be um, because you love me because you're my brother, um, you would have no pull inside the IRS. Right. Whereas if somebody right. had status in the IRS, um, that person, and so I'm tying that to Christ who has status with the father being fully God, um, is right. able to advocate on our behalf um, effectively um, because the father listens to him because he has status. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, the second point that John Henry Newman makes that, that is to me quite profound is uh, he says that Christ's ascension to the right hand of God is marvelous because it is sure evidence that heaven is a certain fixed place and not a mere state. So that bodily presence of the Savior, which the apostles handled, is not here. It is elsewhere. It is in heaven. 
Uh, and it's interesting, uh, Newman, who, is, who wrote this sermon in the 1830s, unless um, we think he was some pre-scientific rube um, before the scientific revolution, um, does talk about like, yeah, the philosophers and yeah, cosmologists and scientists love to point out to Christians that um, there's no such thing as up <laughs> in, um, in, 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 in space. And, um, and that's okay. Um, we wouldn't expect uh, first century uh, Roman citizens to use any other vocabulary than that which they had. Um, and, and yet it does assure us that heaven is a fixed place where we bodily will dwell um, with, our, with uh, our savior who is bodily there as well. Um, also next, um, in a mysterious way, it's beneficial to the believer um, uh, in, in, a, in a bunch of different ways, Christopher, that we've talked about in uh, John's Upper Room Discourse, right? He says things like, is it, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come, right? So he does not tell us why it was that his absence was the condition of the Holy Spirit's presence. That's interesting, isn't that, Christopher? I mean, it's never explained. Well, we just need to trust Jesus that it is so, right? If I depart, he says, I will send him unto you. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, uh, the Spirit of truth, that he may abide with you forever. That's, uh, that's all from John 14, John 14, 7, and John 14, 16. And we've, uh, we've spent time with that text over the last couple of weeks. Um, he also says, this as, well, this as well is from John's Upper Room Discourse. He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Right? There's something about his departure that will trigger fruit. Um, and that is always, um, I've not, Christopher, I've never fully understood that, but I guess it is just with the eyes of faith that we must, trust that it is so. Um, if he loved me, he would rejoice because I said, I go into the father for my father is greater than I. Or the, Christopher, do you remember in the garden, the mysterious thing he says to Mary? Uh, yes. Touch me not for I'm not yet ascended to my father. Ooh, that is the answer there's, to the question. A, yeah, that's the answer to that's, the question. <laughs> yeah. There's the prediction right there. And it's not even in a, um, uh, a synoptic uh, gospel. Right. It's in John. Ooh, that's fascinating. Yeah, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my father, but I go to my brethren and say unto them. And I but and go ahead. And I think I've talked about this before. How like we're not quite sure what that means. Um, yeah. and, and we have we have we have maybe a few possible interpretations of that, but it's 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 a curious saying. Yeah. So isn't it interesting, Christopher? There's something that his ascension will trigger, um, a showering of blessings upon us, of um, spiritual gifts, of and and most importantly of the Holy Spirit, which is probably. Um, the vehicle for all those things. Any, any thoughts? Yeah, abso absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, the spirit absolutely is. And, and I mean, there's, we don't know the significance of why Jesus wanted them. Uh, we, we can only guess. Um, so he said, you know, go, go to Jerusalem and wait. Um, and, and so, I mean, Jesus could have given them the gift of the spirit the next day. Um, but he didn't. And um, so there, there is there, you know, some pastors might use this and might speculate and guess, you know, like the importance of fellowship and remaining together. And, mm. and uh, especially in this, this uh, kind of coming out of the pandemic where uh, some, some, many, some have wondered if one in five churches will close because yeah. like many people have grown accustomed to live streaming and are no longer gathering in person. They've right. just, the, 
you know, it's kind of inconvenient to get up and get dressed and shower and leave the house on Sunday morning. And if you can do church on TV, that's just a a whole lot easier. And then like you you have more energy to do your fun Sunday activities. And it's like, well, no, Um, just, just as uh, Jesus said, like, wait together and and certainly they were together they didn't know which day the spirit would be given um they remained together uh and and as luke points out here um part of their waiting was continually in the temple blessing god so so they had um they had this fellowship with one another and they had um time in the temple like blessing god praising god um reading his word uh so i mean I'm not being like moralistic and wagging my finger, but like we can just see described here what they do as they wait mm-hmm. for this gift from on high. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the next benefit that uh, John Henry Newman um, points out is more speculative, um, but I believe it's fairly well grounded. Um, and and he, he speculates that uh, cautiously that just as Christ departs, so that he can intercede for us at the Father's right hand, it may be so that believers who have died now intercede unknown to us um, for the victory of the gospel and the church here on earth. And we are exhorted in in Hebrews to kind of, with the eyes of faith, perceive around us that we are um, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses um, that the church visible is, 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 is but but a small, like the tip of the, the, the abused metaphor, right? The tip of the iceberg, um, whereas the church triumphant um, greatly exceeds the, um, the church militant, the church here on earth. Well, the tip of the iceberg is, is really good um, illustration because like there's a bit protruding above the water, but, yeah. but the bulk of it is, is unseen yeah. un- under the water. And we yeah. have Christopher, great um, inspiring images in the book of Revelation um, of, of what the believers are doing, right? There's an active... There's an active praise and prayer um, in the throne room of God. Um, it's not just the cherubim and seraphim, um, but the saints that precede us, right? Casting down their crowns before the throne um, around the glassy seed, around the glassy sea. Um, he speculates um, it may be possible that their prayers above may be as really indispensable conditions of that victory as the labors of those of us who remain here. Um, they are taken away for some purpose, surely. Their gifts are not lost to us. Their soaring minds, the fire of their contemplations, the sanctity of their desires, the vigor of their faith, the sweetness and gentleness of their affections were not given without an object. Yea, doubtless, they are keeping up the perpetual chant in the shrine above, praying and praising God day and night in his temple, like Moses upon the mount, while Joshua and his foes and his host fight with Amalek. Can they be allotted greater blessedness than to have a station after the pattern of that savior who has departed hence? Has he no power in the world's movements because he is away? Right. So, so the idea there is that, that, that Christ's ascension paves the way for ours ultimately, right? So, so Christ's resurrection paves the, paves the way for our resurrection. And because I've used the metaphor of magnets here, right, Christopher, because he has ascended on high, so to we who have fed on him our whole life will be drawn to him um, when we cross Jordan on that day, right? So, um, so he is doing in advance with, with the Father what we someday may do as well, 
<laughs> which is why we, we refer to him as, as, as first fruits, like the, That's the, right. like the promise of what he has done and what we have witnessed in his, in what he is doing, like we will follow. Right. Yeah. And there's scriptural warrant for this as well. Um, we read of the martyrs crying with a loud voice. How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on earth? Um, the book of Revelations paints a moving picture of the saints and martyrs continuing in prayer and praise as they gather around the altar and around the throne. So um, I, I will say, uh, let me say, all right, four points. And then I'll, I, I've monologued, even though I, I, I promise not to. Um, Christ has also has died um, as Romans, as Paul, St. Paul writes in Romans 8, um, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from his love? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So um, the ascension should be a source of consolation for us, right? Um, because he is there making intercession for us, who can separate us from his love? All right, so the fourfold benefits. Um, number one, to drive the final stake in sin, Satan, death, and the grave. So the ascension is the final act in Christ's Easter victory, right? The Christus victor, right? And we see him mounting in triumph. Number two, to give gifts to us. Um, through the Holy Spirit, which comes ten, 10 days later. Number three, to prepare a place for all them that believe in him, right? As he says in John, um, uh, I, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. And then four, to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, down unto his church. What do you think? Yes, and Amen. <laughs> Um, do you have any final thoughts on uh, on the benefits um, of the ascension for we believers here on earth? I, I guess to, to cap it off, I, I would just um, reiterate my point that that like Christ's work on our behalf uh, is more than just uh, his life, death, and resurrection. Um, as I uh, said earlier, that that uh, we often simplify it to be just his death, or maybe just his death and resurrection, but we, we also, as we simplify it in that way, like we remember that not only did Jesus die for us, he lived for us um, in this, in this great exchange uh, in his death, uh, he suffered for our sins and in his perfect spotless life. Um, he has this righteousness, which, which is attributed to us, which is credited to us, which is imputed to us. Um, and um, in, in Christ, in his you know, he, he was at the beginning, um, in the beginning was the word, um, Jesus was at the beginning, but then he took on flesh. Um, and, and so like, I don't want to get into to theological trouble here, but, but to say that like, um, Christ in flesh, like Christ was not in flesh at, at, at the beginning. So in, in essence, he, he took on flesh when he was born in the incarnation and then, uh, in the ascension, like his return to heaven um, where he reigns from there uh, is a significant part, um, not just in, in geography, but in, in um, his overall uh, cosmic work in, in the big picture of what he, um, what he did and what he has, has done and what he is doing. Um, as, as you pointed out as, as 
he continues to work on our behalf as an advocate with the Father. So, so let, let us let us not uh, ever diminish or forget the importance of his ascension. Yeah, um, Christopher, I don't know if we've ever talked about the hymn "See the Conqueror Mounts in Triumph," mm. um, but the final verse is quite moving. It's a, an Ascension Day. Um, it's a it's a hymn specifically on the Ascension. It's by Christopher Wordsworth, who is the nephew of William Wordsworth. Um, and uh, the last verse goes, you have raised our human nature on the clouds to God's right hand. There we'll sit in heavenly places. There with you in glory stand. Mm. Jesus reigns adored by angels. Man with God is on the throne. Mighty Lord in thy ascension, we by faith behold our own. Mm. So yeah, we have a person. A man sitting at the right hand of the Father. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Shall we end in prayer? Let's. Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended into heaven, may our hearts and minds also there ascend, and with him continually dwell, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week. <laughs>